Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So we today we are going to sort of continue unpacking WWDC um, and transition from watchOS that we talked about last week. Um, and this week we're going to st- start talking about iOS. We'll see how it goes in terms of if it's uh, just today or uh, this week and next week. But there's a lot of really cool stuff in iOS, and I think it's fun to kind of walk through it, both in terms of things that we think are cool uh, for ourselves and for our own apps, as well as to just unpack some of the cool stuff there. Because I think this year, um, with their emphasis on like technologies and refinements, like on the technology side, they added a whole bunch of stuff that is really cool and interesting technically, um, but I'm not sure yet has much application, if, at all, if any, to uh, my own projects. But it's still interesting, and I'm trying my best to be, be aware of those technologies um, just so I can have them in the back of my mind. Um, but probably the best thing also just to mention is if you're not, you know, if, if you haven't gone through enough, a lot of these, uh, beta cycles is there's usually two documents that are the best place to sort of get started with, um, looking at what's new in iOS. And there's usually an actual document called what's new in iOS. Um, I'll have a link to it in the show notes, um, which is Apple sort of like big high level structural change document, um, which is great. Um, and then there's usually, and then there used to be the old API diffs document, which um, Apple doesn't really do anymore, which I have actually filed a radar about, which I'll also have a link to in the show notes. Um, and instead, I, somebody has independently generated a nice diff, um, which I'll have a link to as well, um, which are great. Like the API diffs are super low level, which is probably why Apple got rid of them. Um, but I've always found them to be tremendously helpful to just kind of survey all of the changes and you'll find it's the only place you'll ever find these little like one method changes where suddenly something that used to be really hard now there's you know there's a a convenience method for it um or they've added you know i run this a lot with health kit where they add a very you know a specific subtype somewhere um and you know it doesn't show up in the high level document so anyway i'd recommend just going sort of browsing through these things and just looking for things that might be relevant for you. Um, and that's sort of the process that I take. Um, and it seems to work. Yeah, I agree. The, those API diffs, um, it, it's a little hard to filter through them to get like things that are actually really relevant to you. Cause you know, in recent years, um, ever since Swift's announcement, um, there, many of the actual differences in the APIs have been things that aren't really substantive, things like nullability changes or changing ID to instance type. You know, So it's like th- there's been a lot of changes like that that, you, that most of the diffing uh, tools, including the one that Apple used to publish, um, they keep in there. So you, you have to do a bit, quite a lot of scrolling sometimes and filtering through. But uh, and, and to get rid of that, to, to do a more you know, intelligent version that you basically have to build a compiler. Uh, So most people don't do that, understandably. Um, But I always find things in the API diffs uh, that that I would not have found if I was only watching sessions and seeing the videos and stuff like that. The first technology that it's, I don't know if there's a particular order that makes sense for this, but one that I'm kind of fascinated by but have absolutely no use for is CoreML, which, as best I can tell, is a way that Apple is now packaging up the sort of machine learning, take a, you know, take a giant bucket of data and pour it through, through some kind of model modeling system to end up with, you know, a, a 
feature identification or that kind of, you know, machine learning process. And they're making it ridiculously fast on their ridiculously, you know, sort of custom hardware, um, which is really cool. Like I see some of the things that they're doing where it's, you know, it's like, here's a picture, you know, tell me where it was taken and show, tell me the objects that were in it. And in many ways, this seems like an extension of all of the stuff that they've been doing themselves in the photos app, uh, for example, or the camera app. Yeah, for a long time, like they, you know, they've been doing this kind of work previously, and, and now they're just turned it into a general purpose framework, um, which is great. I don't think I have much to do with it yet. Like I'm starting to play with a little bit of like some of the things that I do, for example, in uh, sleep analysis, where you know I do some basic processing on motion data to identify different periods of sleep. Like theoretically, that kind of thing might ultimately be possible to turn into a machine learning kind of a situation, but. It is so outside of my expertise that it's like that is going that that's like that's a project for probably something like next spring when things tend to get slow and I'm just like looking for a little fun thing to do for a couple of weeks and like it may work it may not but in general it's kind of cool and it's it's a kind of a technology that I'm I always love it when Apple can bundle up something that they've you know developed internally and then publish it to us because usually that means that it's fairly well baked, fairly well thought through. You know, they've built this for themselves first and then are just exposing it to us. And so I would expect it to go reasonably well if you have an application that couldn't take advantage of this. Yeah, I, I too, I, I really do not know very much about modern machine learning you know, techniques and frameworks and and. I don't even have a, a good vocabulary on these technologies to be able to not only discuss them intelligently at all, but also I don't even know if I can use them or not. I like I, I really need to devote some time, and I think your suggestion of possibly like the quiet springtime is, is a really good idea, um, devote some time to just familiarizing myself with modern machine learning algorithms and types and just what these tools can even do before I have any idea whether I can use them or not. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything more to say on Coramello than looks really cool, but way over my head. Um, the next one that I think is, I, I understand, this is one I understand a bit better, but I, I'm not really sure I have anything to do with it, but um, it's ARKit, um, which is sort of the other sort of brand new technology that Apple seems to be pushing um, this year. And I think when I first like heard about AR and I mean, it feels like for the last couple of years, like Tim Cook has kept saying AR is the future when everyone asked him about VR and everyone's like, Oh no, 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 it's AR. I'm not sure I really got what he was talking about or why it would be interesting. And now that the technology is out and it makes building AR or augmented reality applications reasonably straightforwardly um, is it's interesting to see. And I think the key thing that I've noticed in this is that AR doesn't allow you to do something that you couldn't do previously with just like regular 3D graphics. You know, like you could, like the demo they had at, at the WDC keynote of, you know, the little scene where, you know, like spaceships coming in and people are interacting and like, that's cool. And like, that could just as easily not have had a table as the background. And right. we've been able to do that forever. Um, but I think the thing that's been interesting now that this technology is out there and that is making me start to understand why this is really potentially um, useful 
um, is some examples that I've started to sort of crop up since, you know, since the first beta came out. And specifically, there's a, there's a great website made with ARKit.com, which is just a, a simple site that somebody's like aggregating people whenever they post videos of cool stuff they're doing with uh, ARKit. And what I, I think what I finally like had the, the cognitive switch on is why ARKit is powerful is because it makes something like that that same kind of thing that we've had for years of you know a 3D model in space it makes the interaction with that 3D space feel natural and feel more feel, feel less complicated like you or I might be feel uh Com- entirely comfortable like navigating a 3d world you know with a keyboard and mouse like in a 3d 3d shooter or a flying game or something like that where you if you once you kind of get used to that you can you know i can fairly adeptly move myself through 3d space which is probably not necessarily the case for everybody like it might be really confusing and complicated to navigate in a 3d you know a generated 3d 3d world but if you take that 3D world and move it into something where suddenly it is immediately natural and understandable, it is, you know, you're looking through this little window on your phone, but it looks just like you're looking at your desk, you're looking at the floor, you know, you're, it's, it's not this crazy thing. And if and it, it behaves like you would expect, you know, if you pick your phone up and move it up, you look higher on the thing, you look lower. And that I think is where things are getting interesting. And like, I'm not sure if I have an app yet for this, but once I kind of wrap my head around it, that like, what is the key thing here is it takes sort of this 3d graphics modeling world and makes it immediately understandable to anybody. Like I imagine you could give an AR app, you know, to a young child and they would get it immediately. It's, it's immediately obvious that like, as you move it around, you can see things around. As you move closer, things get bigger. As you move farther away, things get smaller. And that is really interesting. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't know if I have anything to do with this yet. Um, you know, it's like it, I saw one health and fitness app that kind of was taking advantage of it, which was really cool that they used mapping data to generate a 3D map of a run they went on. And you could kind of like project that onto a table and then you could like you know, you can w- look at what you did and watch the trace of it move around, which is really cool. I don't know if that really makes sense for, you know, like adding to a workouts app. Um, but there's something here and it's kind of cool to see. Um, and if anything, probably ARKit is one that I'm most looking forward to this fall, just like downloading a ton of apps that are doing fun stuff with it and trying it out. Yeah, It's also, um, it's important to to see this now as a 1.0 you know, AR right now seems, first of all, you know, as you said, like we, there's a lot of f- cool features and things we could do with this that we mostly just haven't really thought of yet. And it is awfully specialized. You know, most apps are going to have no use for this, uh, as with many of these technologies. But, but that, that's not to say that, that there, that there aren't good uses for it. Um, and, and it is still also a very early version of AR. So for instance, um, this has to run on phones that only have one camera. Um, and it, it, in a while, you know, in a few years, maybe every iPhone that runs the the current OS will have two cameras and it can do cooler things. Um, right now, it's basically table kit. Like, you can do really cool stuff on tables. 
Um, and that's great. I, I don't know a lot of people who have a bunch of empty tables lying around who, who want to fill them with 3D models, but you know, we will find cool uses for it, but it's also going to get better over time. Like already, the current AR kit is limited only to horizontal surfaces, but in the docs, there's a couple of mentions of vertical surfaces, and the APIs for those are conveniently missing. Uh, so clearly, like in, a few, in the future, they're probably going to add vertical surfaces, and then maybe it'll be better at detecting irregular surfaces, surfaces that aren't perfectly flat. Like if you're outside and you're looking at a hill, you know, like how, how do you map that into AR space? Um, because it isn't a single plane or it isn't a flat plane. Um, so over time, this is going to get better, and the potential uses for it are going to grow. So right now, while it seems like hyper-specialized, I think it actually, over time, will become much bigger than that. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And I guess it's just fun. Like, um, it's it's cool to see something like this because you can just kind of make these silly but very fun apps. Like, I'm, like I said, it's, it's just a really cool technology. And I love that it's, it's like, I, I love it when a, a, a new API or SDK comes out with something like this where it, it isn't so much that, like, it's this brand new, totally new thing. But what it is, is like they've, they're dramatically lowering the barrier to entry for trying something like this. Um, you know, that I believe, especially, you know, like the actual math and graphical processing and everything going on to make this work, even in its, you know, 1.0 state is crazy town. Like, I don't know how they can do what they're doing, but they do. Yeah. Um, and so they're lowering the bar so that, you know, a, a developer like you or I, who is just like, you know, like, a one-man team or a small team can probably reasonably do something in this space and like make something happen, um, which previously may have just been completely impossible. Um, and so it's kind of cool to just see them just like, hey, you know what? This is now like a given. You can do basic augmented reality stuff just for free. Go, go and have fun. And it's just lovely to just see like this huge, you know, it's like they always love in WDC. They have these, the, the graphs or the, the charts where they have like the very, you know, it's like the stack of technologies on top of each other and now there's this massive stack below ar kit that we just don't have to think about like that all of the crazy complicated you know it, camera stuff that they're doing and i mean some of the stuff you, you kind of hear about bits and pieces of where like the stuff they have to do on the camera to you know like they track during optical image stabilization as best i could understand is that during optical image stabilization as the lens is moving from side to side they're actually tracking that in code to adjust for it in their models, <laughs> which is like, whoa, like that's crazy. But like, fair enough. That's what you have to do because otherwise you have, you know, the camera, the camera lens is shaking. It's, you know, it's shaking back and forth to try and stabilize things. And so if you don't adapt for that, you'd be introducing error. And so like, that's really cool. And I'm so glad that I don't have to write the code that works that out because that sounds <laughs> really, really hard. Yeah, exactly. And this is one thing that makes this exciting for me, too, is that, you know, many apps on our phones and iPads are things that we've been able to do on desktop computers and laptop computers forever, right? And, and it's just like moving those tasks to mobile devices. AR is something that is like truly mobile. Like this is something that you, you effectively can't do on computers, like just because of like the ergonomics of how you are holding them, what kind of hardware they have, what kind of cameras they have, like, like you're never going to... I mean, not never, but no one's ever really going to, in mass, uh, take their laptops and wave them around in the air and do AR applications that way, or 
move their iMac screen on their desktop angling around to like look at a table like that's never going to happen this is like a mobile first thing and and for for people like us who are primarily or only mobile developers that's exciting to have these kind of new completely new categories of things open up to us even if we don't have any immediate ideas for using them like that will probably change over time and that'll be great for us Anyway, we are sponsored this week by Dice. Dice has been helping tech professionals like us take the next steps in our careers for more than 20 years. They have the insights and the tools needed to give you an edge. So if you're wondering what's next in your career, Dice's new career pathing tool can tell you about new roles based on your job title and your skills. And they can even show you which skills you will need to make the move. The Dice Careers mobile app is the premier tool to manage your tech career from anywhere. You can find exactly what you're looking for with thousands of positions from top companies. And the Dice Careers Market Value Calculator allows you to understand what your skills are worth. So you can discover your market value based not only on your job title and location, but also your specific skill set. So don't just look for a job. Manage your career in technology with Dice. Download the Dice mobile app and learn more at dice.com slash under the radar. That's dice.com slash under the radar. Our thanks to Dice for sponsoring this show and all of Relay FM. So another technology that blows my mind when they get into the weeds of how it's actually done um, is the new depth API, which is if you, if you have, I guess it's, right now it's just the seven plus, but presumably it'll be, or yeah, the seven plus is the only phone that has the dual camera system, but presumably in the future, there may be more cameras that can do this. Um, if you have one of those, they can do the, this crazy bit of, uh, comparison between the two camera pictures and work out the, you know, a fairly accurate depth map of what they're seeing um, in the picture. And this is, at this point, only used for that kind of simulated um, large depth, uh, large aperture photography you know, effect where it blurs out the background but keeps the, the subject of your picture in focus. <laughs> Way to avoid pronouncing bokeh. Yeah, well, I, I, that's exactly what I was doing. I'm just walking my way around it. I don't want to. I don't want to go there. Um, but I love that it's now just a general purpose API, and like you can do all kinds of stuff with this potentially. Like it doesn't have to just be. Oh, now that we know depth, we can do. Uh, we, we can blur the background and make it. You know, make it look like a large aperture picture. It's you can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, the, the toy examples they showed were really cool where it's, you know, you can say, Hey, let's, you know, maybe let's make the foreground image in color and the, you know, the background of the image, let's turn it uh, black and white or similar kinds of basic effects or just taking advantage of this information is really kind of cool. And you can, it's kind of fun to see too, how I imagine this is sort of similar to AR kit in, you know, it's like Apple is doing this really low-level image processing in real time that allows them to pull a lot of extra information and metadata out of what the the cameras are seeing. Um, and you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest, this is kind of it kind of makes me want to go out and buy a seven plus because uh, right now I just have an iPhone seven, just so that I can play with this and you know and see what you can do with this data. Um, now that we have this really straightforward and like the API for it is really pretty you know understandable and easy and because of the new uh image format too the heaf i believe is what, mm -hmm. what it's called um this data is also now available to us retrospectively so it's like people don't even necessarily have to use our apps to take the picture because i mean like i as much as 
like custom camera apps are cool. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've probably bought and downloaded dozens of them. I always just use the built-in one because it's available right from the lock screen. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, and so it's great though that like this data is now baked into those pictures, and so third-party apps can retrospectively take advantage of of doing it, um, which is really cool. Yeah, and editing plugins too. I mean, there's all sorts of applications for that. Yeah, and so. It's like I'm not sure what there is to do with the debt. Like this seems to be the theme of this of the show so far. It's like <laughs> I don't know what to do with this, but it's really cool. And like the talk on it, um, in addition to actually, the, it was probably one of the, the 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 best talks I went to. Just from a, a, a I don't know, like a comedy perspective, like the the I believe Brad was the guy who gave the talk it was just really funny and making lots of jokes about depth, which. I don't know. It, it it appeals to my sense of humor. So if you if you haven't watched it already, the the talk about the depth API is really good. I haven't heard any jokes about depth recently. I'll have to check yeah. this out. Well, you just got to dig deeper. I mean, you <laughs> oh, just got to really <laughs> exactly. Oh wow. Uh, so moving on, um, we got two new Siri intents um, in iOS 11, uh, which are all about uh, lists and notes. Um, so you know, it's it's at these it's sort of reminders and notes and like. Rem- allowing apps like OmniFocus or Things um, to now inter- interact with Siri, which is cool. I mean, I, I sort of like the way that they're doing Intense in the sense that they're kind of methodically expanding out the way we interact with Siri. I do kind of wish that they also had a like a, like a fallback, like a general purpose thing, just to, to be a bit more, uh, you know, to sort of, permissive in terms of what's possible with siri kit like right now it's kind of annoying that they have you know it's like if you're one of the apps that has the ability to interact with their structured format like great you're golden and you know if you were a list app or a notes app now you can do that but if you're not you're still stuck and like i get what they're doing with that because their approach means that it's likely more reliable in general, in the sense that it's fairly unambiguous as to what you're trying to accomplish versus having a completely, oh, you know, free form general purpose system. But I don't know. It's, I kind of wish that you could interact with, you know, with a bit more apps. And I imagine, you know, it's like your, like your app overcast would be, you know, a great, a great candidate for this kind of thing to be able mm-hmm. to be like, you know, it's like, Hey, can you, you know, play this episode or pick up where I left off or those kinds of interactions, which right now you just, you just can't. And that's kind of annoying. Yeah. Like I think that the way they, the way they are apparently doing this with this like gradual expansion into very limited domains, but making it really easy to implement once they get to your domain, like that's nice. And if they accommodate what your app does or what you want to do, uh, then by the time they get to you, that you are better off doing it that way than if they had this kind of like general purpose, like send overcast this phrase and you know, just have overcast, try to figure out what you meant by that. Uh, you know, like that it, it is nice the way they're doing it. If, if it works for your app. Uh, but if it doesn't work for your app, you're just shut out completely of this entire system. And, and that's, that's unfortunate. But speaking of things that you did get, um, you got airplay too, right? That's a well... technology that's <laughs> slightly helpful for you. Have you have you watched the session on Airplay Two? Uh, actually, I don't think I have gotten there yet. Watch the session on Airplay Two. Um, the the short version basically is: if you are using AV Player, you're pretty much okay. If you're using any other method to play audio, you have a lot of work to do now. 
<laughs> and I use other methods to play audio because AV Player is in, in, is incompatible with Smart Speed. There's no way to really implement Smart Speed well with AV Player, um, so I, I don't use it. Uh, and if you if you are writing your own audio graph or using any other method, uh, you now have a lot of work to do if you want to support AirPlay too. So that's going to take up an, uh, an, an as yet unknown part of my summer, but certainly not a short part. Uh, so it's nice. It, it's it's going to be really cool when I get it working, but that's that's going to be a lot of work. I have to basically lop off and rewrite like uh, the middle half of my audio engine. That's, that, that that sounds fine. I mm, mean, yeah, yeah. What, what, what could possibly go wrong about <laughs> you know just cutting out the core part of what makes your app your app and mm. uh, just replacing it this summer? Yeah, I mean, and the good thing is like another new technology, which is drag and drop. Uh, will actually allow me to also rip out the middle half and rewrite uh, part of my UI. But it's a part of my UI that I would love to get rid of. It's the the crazy hacks that I had to write to get full-time reordering in, the, in a UI table view um, with my with my little drag handles and my playlist at a view in, in, in Overcast 3. Um, I love having full-time reordering. Uh, and before, that was pretty much impossible to do with the UI table view without tons of hacks. Uh, the the drag-and-drop API will not, al- not only allow me to get rid of a lot of those hacks, but like imagine like the the drag and drop with like the spring loading kind of folder navigation stuff with overcast playlists like imagine like being able to pick up like three episodes in a playlist backing out to your playlist screen and then like dropping them into another playlist and having that open itself up and you can put put them in a certain spot like this could open up really cool apis this will open up really cool apis but it's going to be a lot of work to to do all that um i do plan to do that to, to the best of my ability um, but again, this is going to be a lot of work this summer, but I, I think if I can pull it off, it'll be worth it. Yeah. And I mean, just j- jumping in on about drag and drop, like that technology. And I, like, I spent a better, a good part of a, a day this week, just building a toy app with it to try and understand it because I really like the way that they've implemented drag and drop, um, in the sense that they could have made it more specific to like on the iPad, moving data from one app to another like okay they could have done that instead they've built this sort of general purpose app that like you said like on the iphone is still it's still there works just fine like is built into collection views and table views and is now instead they built this sort of general purpose sort of concept about you know publishing something as being draggable and a way, you know, a fairly comprehensive way to define what that means in terms of if it's a file or a various, you know, if it's a, a more stri- straightforward type or an object type, you can just define what that is. You have a method, a sort of a a method that I imagine over time users will just get used to for how to access it, and then you have a method for you know putting that data somewhere else. And like I said, you can work inside your own app. You can do this. You can do it between apps, like. I really like the way they structure this so that it's fairly general purpose and in general, not crazy hard to implement either. Like for the most part, if you're doing the basic kind of things that you would expect drag and drop to work with, you know, it's mostly that you're implementing three or four delegate methods um, and you're off to the races. Like it's, you know, unless you're, what you're trying to do is share some kind of really complicated um, data type that needs special handling. Like if you're just trying to pu- have a string value be available as drag and drop or an image or something like that, you can just do it. And like, it's super straightforward to do. And I just love that they, you know, it's like they, they, they didn't just go, 
um, they didn't just do the basic. They did the, the full comprehensive solution. And so now it can be used in so many ways that are beyond just it's like a basic thing of, oh, we can just add drag and drop to the iPad where you can drag things from one side to the other. Like the fact that you could do use it for table view reordering. And it sounded actually like they are internally now using it for table view reordering. I believe so. Um, like if you're using the built-in version, like that is a great example of like, I like that how fully baked this is. And while I wish in some way it's like, it sound, it would have been great if we'd had it before. Like now that it's here, it's like, this is awesome. And I love that it's just, it's, it's everything you would kind of expect it to be. Um, and so that's kind of cool. Yeah, it. I'm I'm a huge fan of of the way they did this so far, and I have not actually coded with it yet. I've, I've just been looking at all the APIs and watching the videos and everything. So you have more experience, but uh, I I too am very excited about the entire drag and drop API because what this does is you know it's it, most of the advanced stuff like the like the you know navigating to different screens while you are dragging things and or navigating into different apps and like with the other hand as you're doing things. Many of these things are, are going to always really be power user features. The same way, like on Mac OS, you've had like spring loaded folders where you can like drag a bunch of files over a folder. Wait a second, the folder will open up and you can keep dragging into different things there before you drop them. Um, it, it, mostly power users do that. I don't think most people know you can do that. Um, and that's the, that's going to be the case with most of the stuff on iOS too. But that's really nice for power users, and it, it it enables entirely new types of work to be efficiently done on iOS. Like these are all things that before you could usually do them, but it was much more cumbersome, and so most people just wouldn't. Now you can, and that that is better for the platform. That that basically makes larger markets for things like professional apps and and productivity apps, where before it was more cumbersome, so most people just wouldn't do it. Yeah, and it's nice too. They're just they have a standard interaction model now that I, you know, users will I met will grow accustomed to, and then it's you know it's easier to adopt this new thing rather than having to like teach a user how to use it. It's like in theory, all the apps will do it the same way, and so adoption from a user's actually using it perspective will also go up. Well, we're out of time this week. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>